you know, when I think about the clients, many, many, many clients I've worked with over the years and, and what sometimes horrendous lives or abuse or disturbance that they have had, that their readiness for change and working with them to enable them to have a life that's enlivened and healthy and worth living is what has kept me in the business. And I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm out. I'm out of here. I do believe people can change. Mm. But I think change is not about becoming somebody else. It's not about just changing a decision or anything like that. I think it's about profound acceptance of who we are. This is Three People in Your Head. A podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Adrienne Lee, who is a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the psychotherapy field. Adrienne is also an author, speaker, and the director and principal trainer of the Byrne Institute, an institute which trains in three fields of TA. Adrienne shares with us her experiences and thoughts on working with process, particularly in psychotherapy and group work. So Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's so great having you on here. Maybe you could just start off by telling the listeners who you are, where you come from, what your background in TA is, that sort of thing. My name's Adrian Lee. I come from London originally and I've worked most of my, and lived most of my life at Nottingham where I was a university teacher for most of my life. I took early retirement there, but I, I started TA very early on in the 1970s. And while I've just been sitting here talking to you, I realize that I've been doing TA for 50 years, more than 50 Wow. Years. My God, wow. that's a hell of a long time. So I, I can remember saying right at the very beginning, oh, I like this stuff. I like this new theory, because it was pretty new at that time. I'll do it as long as I still feel vitalized by it. As soon as it starts to deaden me, I'm off to something else. 50 years later, I'm still... <laughs> so I get it. I guess there's something about transactional analysis that is still enlivening and still growing and um, still inspires me because otherwise I certainly wouldn't be still doing it. So I was there right at the very beginning of TA in this country and I came across it with a, a, a little old professor called John Alloway who was teaching adult education classes. And I, I was dealing with some very difficult people and difficult groups at the time, very creative groups. But, and I thought, I don't understand these people. What are they doing? I better find out. So I went to this adult education class and this little man, little John Alloway, because he was a little man with a bald head and, and <laughs> precise. And he was reading Eric Burns' books and he was teaching group dynamics and transactional analysis. And I was just enthralled. And I end up saying, well, can I work with you, John? And I worked with him in the universities of um, Leicester and Nottingham and Northampton. And we um, ran out of education classes together on transactional analysis. And then in 1975, we found some other people who were really interested in transactional analysis, a guy called Alan Byron and uh, Margaret Turpin and Michael Reddy and loads of other people who 
we found and we formed the Institute of Transactional Analysis, which was the first UK association for TA. Very good. And then we went on and got IATA formed also in 1975. So it was very right at the very beginning and uh, I'm still here. Very good. (laughs) Now I I run the Byrne Institute. Um, I founded the Byrne Institute with Ian Stewart in about 1984, and he retired, so I now run it with a wonderful team of people, and um, we're going strong and, and love it. Brilliant. So Adrian, uh, when, when you went on in your training in TA, you specialised in the psychotherapeutic field, is that right? Yes, I did, I did. Yeah. Um, I don't think, well at that time, remember, there weren't any other fields. That's right, yeah. There was only transactional analysis and, yeah. and I can remember because I, I did an exam that only two other people are qualified in in the world, which is a, a kind of professional membership of the Institute of Transactional Analysis exam. And they said, what should we put on it? Because you're supposed to put what specialism? And I said, well, clinical. <laughs> so that was it because it's only, it was only after that 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 organisational, educational counselling differentiated from psychotherapy. So, so yes, I'm psychotherapy for Right. And for the listeners, Adrian, could you maybe talk a little bit about um, how TA psychotherapy stands on its own and is maybe different to some of the other approaches in, in psychotherapy? Because I think sometimes there's blurred lines and understanding because some people see that uh, transactional analysis is maybe a tool to be used as part of integrative and humanistic approach. Um, whereas maybe within the TA community, we actually see it as its own approach. Well, this is a a very interesting question, John, because um, transactional analysis is is very special. And it's special in two very distinct ways, well, probably in many ways, but the two I'm thinking of is one that it has a very clear and defined map for how to look at the human being and our relationships with other people and the life choices that we've made. Because Eric Byrne was so convinced that things had to be in the language of an eight-year-old, and that we had to be able to communicate in an I'm okay, you're okay way, the models and the maps of TA are very accessible and very simple. And they underpin all that we do. So once we understand those maps as transactional analysts, we can talk about what we do, we can choose what we do. And we have, um, it's like an awareness of, of what is happening in the moment that we can share with the client and therefore then change. So it is very change-oriented and related very much to what we are aware of and can bring out of our unconscious to our pre-conscious into our conscious mind so that we can then act. It is brilliant. However, the other point about TA is that it is eclectic. Right from the very beginning, TA has incorporated other modalities. You know, Bob and Mary Goulding were off working with Fritz Perls and they brought Gestalt therapy into TA. Mm. Other people have worked in different areas, whether it's body work or psychoanalysis or spiritual work, and they've brought those theories, those models, those ways of working into the TA theory and the TA way of working. And as long as we go back to those primary models of 
ego states, of the script, of games or whatever, we can make sense of those and incorporate those within TA. So I don't know how TA can get included in integrative therapy when it's already an integrative therapy in its own right. Very interesting. And for, for you, Adrian, what sets TA apart in the sense of, you know, because obviously you've devoted 50 years to training, teaching, being a TA psychotherapist and living and breathing TA in lots of ways. And that's a huge investment. So for me, that must call out that it's also given you a huge amount in return. So I was wondering, what do you think that it is about TA that keeps you so invested in it? Well, that's a big question. And I think the honest answer is that because it's simple Mm. and it's profound. And it's one of those um, approaches to life that has both profundity and enormous depth, as well as a very, very simple and accessible model to understand it and hold it. Now, I like things simple. I think if you can't, I, I agree with Bird, if you can't say it's simple, it's probably not worth saying. And that what matters is that we need to include rather than exclude people in the processes of learning and growth and change. So I think that's what's always been um, inspiring for me. And um, because I've been a university teacher so much of my life, I, I was used to kind of going into reading lots of books and doing lots of research and comparative stuff. And all. And then I had a student who many years ago said to me, Adrian, she said, I, I can't be reading all these books. It's just too much. She said, can't you just put it on one side of A4? And I said, don't be. I said, you've got to read the books. It's complicated. It's whatever. And I went away thinking, you know, she's right. She's absolutely right. What's happening to TA is that sometimes we are making it over complicated. We're losing one of its great assets, which is that that simplicity. And so I said, okay, I'm going to put it on one side of A4. And that's why so much of my teaching is about taking sometimes the long, complex scientific articles that are written or theories and putting them onto one side of A4, putting them into a model or a picture or a diagram that can be seen, accessed, and um, used immediately. Mm. And um, a TA lends itself to that. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. fantastic. It's one of the things I love. I'm a very visual learner. And so for me, seeing the diagrams and being able to understand so readily, so quickly, these complex issues. And also, I love it when I've had an opportunity to share this with a client. And then there's this whole new dialogue that takes place between us when they've understood this concept and they're so excited to be able to explain what's going on. And yeah, and that's what I do. I, when I'm teaching, I make up new diagrams as I'm going along. <laughs> and, and that's okay because I'm a transactional analyst I can do that <laughs> and um, you know I, I, for example I was once talking or trying to explain to somebody about the difference between script and counter script and I drew this drowning man diagram that 
now has kind of gone viral. Everybody, <laughs> everybody yeah. knows this drowning man diagram. And it makes me laugh because people say, oh, you're Adrian Lee, the drowning man. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I must have drawn hundreds of diagrams and pictures, but that's the only one people. <laughs> <laughs> and that just occurred on the fly. So you hadn't sat down and kind of... I think that isn't that great. But those of you who've been taught by me, or those people who have been taught by me, know that that is what I do. Somebody asks me a question, I go up to the board, and I I don't know what diagram is going to emerge, but usually one does. And <laughs> and I can remember because uh, Steve Cartman contacted me quite recently when I did um, I did a seminar on expanding TA theory, and he sent me an email. And he said, "Remember, Adrian," he said that. If you expand TA theory, you've got to adhere to Eric Burns' rules. <laughs> and he then proceeded to kind of tell me what some of the rules were. And the rules, one of the rules <laughs> is that for every piece of theory that you develop, you must have a diagram. Ah. I said, don't worry, Stephen, there's always a diagram with me. <laughs> I, I can remember that quite distinctly from some of my earlier training. And I think it was probably you, Adrian, that said, if there's no diagram, it's not TA. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to loop back slightly on that because I agree the simplicity for something for me as well that has been a big draw to it and it really suits my learning style and it's so accessible. And the profundity is what really kept me in because it was like, this is really accessible. It helps me understand myself and others to a great depth. And it's so profound. And I'm, I'm wondering, Adrian, you know, over the years of working, you must have come in contact with clients where you saw immense change happening in their lives. And for me, that is one of the amazing parts about TA is that you actually realize immense change through TA therapy and, and working with TA. Um, and I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that, because I think sometimes people don't appreciate some of the profound change that can occur in people's lives as a result of having TA therapy. Yeah, I think, I think we have to go back to some of the basic premises of TA and its basic philosophy that is so much based on the fact that people can choose, people can change. This whole story about a guy who has a splinter in his foot and gets blood poisoning and a temperature and does his back in and whatever and, and has all these different ailments and all these different problems and goes to the doctor. And Eric Burns says, our job is not to deal with all the complex symptoms. Our job is to get the splinter out. And that famous story in TA about getting the splinter out is about TA's focus on change. It sort of says under, underpinning the whole of TA is that we can change. Yeah. Different, different schools and different approaches in TA have different notions about how that change happens. In the classical school, they say it happens when you um, have more awareness because more awareness means more choice. You know, if you go to the redecision school, they'll say change happens when we identify those decisions we made about survival in early childhood and we re-examine them and see if they're still working. And if not, we re-decide and we make a new decision. And then you might go to relational TA and say, you know, there's something that's been missing in that early relationship that's still getting in the way. 
you know, change will happen when in the here and now we can make some kind of contact with each other. We can create something in the space that will be a new relationship. So there are different ways in which change happens in TA, in so many different approaches in terms of different schools. So, and I have seen, and I, I, I'm almost hesitating to say this because I know as soon as I do, I'm going to choke up. And that is, you know, when I think about the clients, many, many, many clients I've worked with over the years and, and what sometimes horrendous lives or abuse or disturbance that they have had, that their readiness for change and working with them to enable them to have a life that's enlivened and healthy and worth living is what has kept me in the business. And I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm out. I'm out of here. Um, I do believe people can change. Mm. But I think change is not about becoming somebody else. And this is my own view of change. It's not about um, just changing a decision or anything like that. It's about, I think it's about profound acceptance of who we are. Wow. Mm. That's very powerful. Uh, you know, I'm inclined to sit with the silence in that one and, and not yeah. trying to extend it anymore because um, that is, I think, won't speak for you, Matt, but I think you share my uh, beliefs too on this. And that's why we're doing this podcast because uh, we want uh, people to. Um, find TA if it's what they need. We want to make TA more accessible to people who don't know about it and mm. to promote it because we know what you've said, Adrian, to be true. Um, yeah. Well, you see, that, that acceptance is also um, prompted by, by a key bit of TA theory, which is physis, which is that whole energy that Byrne described when he drew the script matrix with an arrow going right through from the beginnings of child right out beyond ego, the aspiration arrow. Um, when, when he said that physis will do the work, really, that force of nature or that divine energy or that spirit or that drive for change will happen if we mm -hmm. open if we open ourselves to that. And that's why that deep acceptance of self and knowing that there is physis in us all, um, however battered or bruised we are, uh, my job as a therapist is to facilitate the physis to, to emerge and to, um, to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love that concept of... Whoever it is that I meet, there's just this innate thing in all humans that they know that there's something more or something better and that they can be more of who they really are and be set free from the, you know, the confines of pleasing others or having to be a certain way. Yeah, I love that. Mm. And Adrian, you mentioned earlier, obviously, that uh, one of the unique things about TA is that we've pulled in loads of different modalities. And I suppose one of the foundational aspects of TA from Eric Bernstein is that it was uh, largely based on group work. 
um, which in lots of ways it's moved away from because, uh, you know, there's been an awful lot of focus on individual one-to-one work. I think that's been a cultural thing really as well, you know, and maybe we're swinging back towards more group-based work again. But I know that group work for you is is a real passion. And I was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think it was group work that got me into TA in the first place. I was running these weird groups and wanted to know what was happening. And I've been, I've been around TA. <laughs> what do you mean by weird groups? <laughs> I'm well, intrigued. Well, I was, I was, I remember this is, these were, this was the sixties and, and this was kind of part of the encounter movement and the um, happenings and whatever. And I was running a kind of, uh, I've forgotten what it was called now. Anyway, we, we, um, we met at the university on and, and Wednesday afternoons and it was students, staff and people off the street and we would do weird things, do creative things. It was a mixture of music, dance, psychology, um, drama, um, uh, encounter, group, whatever. And we would just put some stimulus and see what happened. One of the ones I remember was the, uh, I can remember giving half the group paper bags and the other half didn't have paper bags and the people with paper bags had to put them on their head and just we wanted to see what would happen my god you know black lives matter would have been you know uh, the explanation for everything that happened in that room now because immediately the non-bag people became the kind of superior ones and the people with the bags got diminished by the non-bag people and uh, things started to happen and I thought what's happening here oh my god I can't handle this <laughs> wow. I didn't understand why people behave the way that they did and so that's why I went to TA and all the work that we did was group work at that time TA was group work and it was so powerful because it was and then as you say there was this movement to more individual work and I think that was when kind of there was a, a more trend back to psychoanalysis and the one-to-one 15-minute hour. But I can remember being on the TA committees at a time when we had to insist that at least one of the three tapes that people had to bring to their exam had to be an individual one. And now it's that one of the tapes is at least a group tape. <laughs> so it's, that's really part of the, the turnaround. But you're right, I, I still think that group work is the most powerful way to actually be a transactional analyst. And I am a strong advocate of returning to the group work paradigm rather than the working individually paradigm of working as a transactional analyst. And that's because when we're in a group, we are more than who we are. We become part of something that, we can only call group process. And if that group process is attended to and is alive, it can be the more healing and more powerful, I think, than what can be achieved in one-to-one environment with one therapist. Because what happens is that one person in the group is ready to open a door, a door into their pain or their deeper self or their a memory or and they gradually open that door and if people are with them other people go through that door too and they touch that space in themselves 
and then other doors open. And it's like it's that process of engagement or encounter with the other and the whole group process that enables a different healing. It allows physis, not just individual physis, if you like, to emerge, but group physis. Mm. And that's why I think it's so important that we, we focus now on, on our groups and on our bigger community. This is one of, one, of the reasons why I'm, one of the reasons why I'm promoting homonymy now rather than autonomy, because I think it is about our interconnectedness, about the ways in which we are part of a, a big group that will take us and the planet um, forward into, into something that's much healthier than when we are just fighting for our own individual survival. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very timely right now. And I think with the lockdown, I've started to appreciate how essential community is, appreciating people who previously weren't appreciated because of certain roles, the bin men being the heroes and the, the people standing behind the counter at co-op are the ones who've kept it all ticking over. And yeah, that sense that we're part of something bigger. That's right. That's right. Yeah really important right now yeah i i think so and i think i think i'm quite quite excited right now because it's like there has been so much dissolution through covid through um, racism through economic exploitation through so much that we have now hit the the place of dissolution we have um, experienced our vulnerability as a world globally yeah and i think it's only when we when we really can touch that vulnerability that we can readjust our values and make change and as you say it's the kind of the bin men and the people working in the in the co-op or the people who are you know uh, our nurses and yeah and carers who yeah refound, repositioned themselves as the important people who are holding our society together. Mm. And I think that's symbolic of a recalibration of what is important and who is important and what is of value and what needs to be of value. So oh. I'm quite excited at this time. I think this is, this is a time of potential growth and major change. I'm also thinking, Adrian, is, is that what gets missed when we are in therapy on our own? Yes. Because, for, yeah, you know, for, for me, that's what I've learned about group work is that I begin to see all of these other aspects of how other people live their lives, of their stories. And then it, it gives me a greater sense of who I am in the world when I know who they are. That's right. And it's, it's like who you are not as an isolated man, but who am I with you? Who are we? And we move then from the I to the we, and that is profound change. And that's what group work is about. It's about the becoming a we. And that's why I think it is so powerful and so important for us as transactional analysts to keep group work alive. And you know, I call the kind of group work I do process groups, but it's very different from what I think people do when they, when they say, let's have a process group. So I need to perhaps call what I do something different. But for me, it's about 
creating the space where people can emerge. And it's like there's a trusting that what will emerge needs to emerge. And all I have to do as group leader is just pay attention to what's emerging and invite the group to pay attention to what's emerging. And it's like the rest takes care of itself, really. To facilitate what's emerging, to kind of come to some language or to some articulation or some resolution if it needs it. But the secret of the group is to trust that the group itself will facilitate the emergent process. Mm. Um, And how that is handled, I think TA gives us enormous resources to, I suppose, it gives us resources to feel safe, actually, to feel safe with what might emerge. Mm. And because we do, it gives freedom for what needs to emerge to emerge because there is the, the grounded, robust holding that I think transactional analysis and theory and interventions and processes enable. Yeah, I was going to ask actually when you said you create the space and I, I'd never done a group therapy thing before, but I attended yours it was in June, I think, end of May. And yeah, I was profoundly impacted by the fact that it was people from all over, different cultures, different countries. And within a very brief space of time, we were touching on, or people, to use your illustration, were opening doors and we were going with them and experiencing a sense of what they were experiencing. Very powerful. When you say you create the space, what is it in TA that, what are the concepts in TA that enable you to do that in a robust way, in a safe way? That's a question. First of all, I think you need to tell people it was online, that course. (laughs) Yeah, it was online. It was amazing. Yeah. So that we can actually do these things even on Zoom. It does. I mean, obviously, it's more powerful when we're in the room itself. But to come back to your question, it's like what I think about that is about presence is the word, really. And... Eric Byrne would say we need to be an adult ego state. But I'd go a bit further than that and say that what we need to allow that emergent state is, is for us as group leaders to be present, to be fully present with ourselves and to encourage people to feel fully present and valued for being fully present. Now that's a really is another way of saying I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah. It's, it's not as glib, but it is about sitting in the space where people are unconditionally okay, just because they are. And that is, I think, in the spirit of, of the philosophy of transaction analysis that has continued to inspire me, that that is what we do. And I think people know when that is actually happening. Mm. They know, they say this, oh, I think this feels like a safe, or this is the first time I've been able to, or I didn't know I was going to say that, but I must be feeling safe to say that. And I think it is about attention. It is about being fully present. It is about 
all that we know about in terms of permissions to be who we are, permission to be important, permission to exist, permission to to be whatever whatever we are experiencing and thinking. So I think that's part of it. Maybe it's the most important part of it. Mm. But the other bit is that the leader, the group leader, has to be present. And by that, I mean that they have, and this goes back to Burns' theory of groups and how groups work effectively. And he wrote, you know, books, two books on this. And that is that the leader has to take their slot. The leader has to lead because then the group can feel safe and then the group can find its own power and the leader can step back. But unless the group feels held and led in some way, it won't experience that grounded, robust safety we're talking about. Yeah. Now, this is true of transactional analysis as well, because unlike psychoanalysts and unlike people perhaps who work in more person-centered ways or in other humanistic ways, transactional analysts are more present with their theory, their self, their Maybe they, some people say they're more directive. I don't think it's that. But that's what distinguishes the transactional analyst from somebody who's just working in a, a relational way or in a person-centered way. Mm. It has that robustness of their presence. Now, if I am robustly present, or if you as a, as a transactional analyst are robustly present, then the other person can be robustly present too. And that's the meeting, that is the encounter that makes things happen. Mm. And it's interesting that you said that it's about being present with yourself mm. and that was part of your leadership of it. It's a fascinating process and mm. we're lucky because we're transactional analysts that we can then go and draw the diagrams that explain <laughs> And, uh, you know, we, there are so many diagrams that we can actually draw to explain, you know, those different stages of the group or the different areas of, of the group. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things, actually, when I first did the foundation year, realizing just how rich and deep the theory is. I had no idea at the time when I started looking at this that Bernard worked an awful lot about explaining the group dynamics and how groups integrate and how they start and how they evolve. And, and for me, that's been one of the wonderful things about studying it is, is seeing that there's so many areas that it applies to. It's not just, you know, me and you or what's going on in me. It's applicable in so many fields. Eric Burns, brilliant. So brilliant. And uh, transactional analysis has, has grown beyond him. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that's kept it alive is that, you know, he died when he was 60 um, in 1970. And how many years are we on now? We're, we're 50 years on from that. And TA is still growing. New books are being published as we speak. Mm. It's like... Um, this is something that is really vibrant, is that, is that transactional analysis has not stood still. Mm. Its theory, its application has continued to grow. So that's why I certainly feel that it's still invigorating and enlightening. Yeah. Now is a good time to ask you a question, which Matt and I are really curious about and ask everybody who comes on. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is what are your thoughts on why transaction analysis isn't as well known as maybe we feel it should be? Um, because I think me and Matt's sense is that it's so profound, it's so accessible, it can have such a huge impact on individuals, couples, families, organizations, systems, schools. And yet the community is relatively small globally in comparison to maybe some other psychological modalities or sociological modalities. So we're keen to obviously use the podcast to promote and change that, but also inquire with some people who are in the community as to maybe why they think that is. It's a good question, but and there are many answers to it, but the first answer that came to my head was the reason why everybody doesn't know about it is because it's not a church. It's not a religion. Um, it's, it's, there's something about Eric Burns' um, wit and humour and a kind of almost a dismissive um, style that says something like, don't get too big about this. <laughs> the next thing is coming along, you know, and it's like he, um, so much of his stuff was sort of a bit jokey, a bit diminishing of sometimes the great ideas that are underneath it. And he also used this very simple language, parent, adult, child, games, rackets, you know, this kind of stuff. This is a language that some people have misunderstood and think is simplistic instead of simple way to understand what is complex. Missing the point really that equality and mutuality depends on us sharing the language. And I think, I think some of these things like the fact that it's not set out to convert people, that in, if anything it's a bit self-deprecating, and if anything, it uses a language that isn't posh, although that's changing now. The psychoanalysts and the relational people want to bring long words back into TA, and hopefully they'll get batted off soon. Because, you know, this is something that if we do, if we start to use concepts like transference, which TA has incorporated all the time, right from the very beginning, but if we do, we kind of seemingly make TA worth having because it's got an academic language, da, da, da. But all of that, God, I've taught in university for 30 odd years. I know that that's a con. You know, the academic language or the mystique of language like that is a con and it doesn't prove worth. And I think that... Um, I think what we need to do to make TA more popular really is to just accept who we are and accept that it's worth having and you're welcome if you want to find out more about it. I don't think it's about proselytizing or changing our language or what we do. I think what we do is good um, and is grounded and I think they will come, build it and they will come. <laughs> I'll tell you something. You know, I, I certainly teach and live these principles in the Burn Institute and our courses are always full. And yeah. we don't promote, we don't market, 
and yet the courses are full. So, so it's like we never have too many or too little. It's there's enough people to fill <laughs> all the seats, mm. and and that's that's maybe that's enough. Mm. Brilliant. <laughs> I love that answer. It's so different from what everybody else has said. <laughs> what, have, what have other people said? Oh, you know, some often the criticisms about it being simplistic or pop psychology, and so people don't take it seriously. Um, or that we have Eric Byrne's script and uh, we have a very strong "Don't be successful" injunction. Or uh, he was enormously successful for God's sake. Yeah. I know he had a he had a bestseller. He was on, wasn't he, on the cover of of Time magazine or something? Yes, like that? he yeah. bought a Maserati. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> the process nice. games people play. Yes, he was very successful. But he was himself. He was himself, and, yeah. and wouldn't compromise who he was to join the, the psychoanalytic association. And said, "If you know, okay, we'll have to do it my way then." And it's true, some people say, oh, it's the rebellion, you won't be accepted or whatever. But it's not that. There's a whole level of um, script that people are not really picking up. And that is that he knew who he was. And he knew what was, what was real for him. And that's what he wanted to teach. And that's what he wanted to promote. Mm. And so that's what he did. I mean, that first lecture that he gave, um, I think it was to the American group analytic society on TA, a new and effective method of group work. I mean, it was that word, you know, effective. It was provocative, but he was <laughs> determined because he knew what, was, what worked. Mm. And he was right, it does. And it still does. Mm. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that yeah. feels like a really good place to end, unless there was something else that you wanted to, to share or say, Adrian. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to talk, and uh, it feel, feels like a great honour. And, and I've been very aware that, because I didn't know what to say, what I was going to say at the beginning of this, and so I thought, well, just live your principles, Adrian, just be in the moment, be present, and see what emerges. And I love what's emerged between us. So thank yeah. You. yeah, thank you. Great. And if people want to get hold of you or find out more about you and your work in your institute, where can they find you? Adrian at theburn.com. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, really. Very inspiring. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and TA resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Thank you.